started here, uh, I want to, uh, to paint a little picture and maybe imagine a scenario for you. Um, imagine, for my students in the room, imagine you're given an assignment for everybody else. Imagine at work you're given some sort of task or role or thing that your boss wants you to do, but that task, assignment, role, whatever, is given with no clear goal. You don't actually know what it is you're supposed to complete or hand in or turn in or accomplish. On top of it, there are no clear parameters given for accomplishing said task. So you don't actually know how to get it done. On top of that, imagine you're given no clear assurance of how you'll be evaluated at the end, whether or not you know it's a success or how you're graded or whatever. Imagine you're given a task like that. Maybe some of you have been at work before. If you haven't had an assignment like that or a task given to you, you could probably put your, sh your feet in those shoes and imagine that sort of task without all those details would be infuriating. It would be discouraging. Uh, and, and maybe most of all, it would be totally demotivating. I don't know about you, but I would not be super excited to get a project like that started. Well, in the book of 2 Timothy, Paul uh, God, through Paul, is entrusting to Timothy a task, a mission. But unlike our hypothetical, frustrating assignment, Paul does not leave Timothy without the details of what he is supposed to do. But, but rather, this morning, what I want to show you in 2 Timothy 2 is that Paul gives Timothy clarity on what it is he is doing, the goal, the task, the mission is, what the mentality, the parameters, all of that, for doing it, and in fact, the assurances of success if he does it. In other words, Paul, as he launches Timothy into a mission, he makes sure that Timothy is adequately equipped for the task, but also that he has adequate encouragement to endure in the task. And I think as we see this this morning, we'll see that we likewise need that for the mission that God has called us to. So let me pray one more time, and we will get into the text here. God, thanks for this morning and this opportunity, the privilege to look at your word. Thank you for instructing us through it. So I pray that you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Encourage us, Father, in what we need to be encouraged with this morning. Challenge us where we need to be challenged, all that you would get the glory you deserve. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Let me start off by reading verses 1 to 7. We'll look at, we're going to verse 13 this morning, so we'll look at these in two chunks says this, chapter 2, verse 1, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. All right, if you're in the note-taking type, you do not have an outline in your handout this morning, so my apologies, you can make your own. So here's three points we're going to go through. We're going to look at the mission, we're going to look at the perspective, and we're going to look at the assurances. So the mission, the perspective, assurances, that's where we're going. If you notice, as Paul kicks off chapter 2, he starts it off with two imperatives, two commands. You then, my child, one, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and two, 
Entrust what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Entrust to faithful men who will be able to uh, teach others also. So two commands. Let's look at those one after another. First command he gives him, sort of the mission that he's calling Timothy to, it starts with this, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. There's a couple things we see about that command that Paul is giving to Timothy. First, whatever the task is, whatever the mission that Paul is calling him to, it requires strength. There's a strength necessary for this. In chapter one, Paul had commanded Timothy things like this. Fan into flame the gift of God. Don't let it be the smoldering ember, but fan this thing into flame. Be unashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Follow the sound pattern of, or the pattern of sound words. And lastly, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Those are all these commands from chapter one. Now, if Paul has to command Timothy to do those things, the implication is there's going to be a temptation to not do those things. In other words, to shrink back, to be ashamed of the gospel, to not share in suffering, to not follow the pattern of sound teaching, but actually to shrink back. In other words, the tasks that Paul is calling Timothy to are not for the faint of heart, and so he needs strength to endure in the mission that God has given him. It's the first thing we think we see. Task requires strength. The second thing is, is a strength from outside of himself. It's a strength from outside of himself. It is the strength that comes from the grace in Christ Jesus. He's not talking about willpower or sort of pulling himself up by the bootstraps. Rather, it is a strength that comes from what Jesus has accomplished for us. And see, Paul is telling Timothy that there is actually a strengthening effect that the grace of Jesus has for us. The third thing to note about this command is that it is a command. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In other words, let grace have that effect in you. Let me see if I can illustrate this. Uh, there is a word that has come, it, I think it started on the internet and then became part of common language now. Do you ever get hangry? You know what I mean? Hungry, angry, mashed together, hangry. It's when your blood sugar's dropping, you haven't had a snack, and you're cranky. It's what my toddlers do. Hopefully, we have all matured past that, right? Right? Okay, when you are hungry, angry, hangry, we are not free to do whatever we want to do because we're hungry or tired or whatever need we're missing. We're responsible for what we do when we're in that situation, but the reality is that though we need to shepherd our hearts in those moments, a snack really helps, to have the strengthening effect of food, for my toddler, you need to eat the snack. You actually have to ingest the thing to be strengthened by it so your blood sugar regulates and all of that stuff and you get past the hangry. Well, see, what Paul has been doing for Timothy already in the, fir in the first chunk of 2 Timothy is he has been laying out food for the soul. In chapter 1, he reminds him of this grace that is in Christ Jesus. If you have your Bibles open, you can look at verses 8 and 9. Oh, we'll go all the way to 10. He says this, partway through 8, he says, For the gospel by the power of God, here it is, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, 
not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. Do you see what Paul is doing for Timothy is he's laying out a feast for the soul. Remember what Jesus has accomplished for you. Now, I want to jump ahead a little bit, tip you off to where we're going. If you look at verse 7 of chapter 2, here's where Paul is going. There's another command in in verse 7. He says, think over what I say. And if you look at verse 8, he says, remember Jesus Christ. See, he is providing Timothy opportunities to let grace have its strengthening effect. But Timothy actively has to grab onto those things to ingest that grace, so to speak, by thinking over it, by remembering these realities. See, in the face of the weariness of ministry, Timothy needed to be refreshed by the grace that is in Jesus. And friends, if you engage in the same mission that Timothy is being called to, which I believe is the duty of every Christian, then you will need this same strength. See here, as we get started here, part of the work, part of the mission is being regularly strengthened for the work. Part of the work is being regularly strengthened for the work. That's one of the two missional commands that Paul gives Timothy as we launch here. See, keeping yourself strengthened by being regularly in the word and in prayer, being active here in the church, consuming biblical truth through all the resources we have available, books, podcasts, all those things, being in fellowship with other believers who can encourage you, all of these things as they expose you to the grace that we have in Jesus that has a strengthening effect, and that is part of the work. All that strengthens us for the second part of the mission, which we see in verse 2. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. If you notice in verse 2, the key verb, the key command in verse 2 is entrust to faithful men. Well, what is it that's being entrusted? It's what Timothy has heard from Paul. What you've heard from me entrust to other people. In other words, it's the gospel. It's all that grace in Christ Jesus that he's supposed to be strengthened by in verse 1. Well, what does it do with it? Think about the verb entrusted, entrusted to others. One of the things we're working on at home right now, have been for a little while, is working with Noah on doing the dishes. So we have him loading the dishwasher and unloading the dishwasher. There is a reality that in training Noah to do this, we are entrusting our dishes to him. That we're training him This is where cups go. This is where spoons go. This is the right amount of force. That is the wrong amount of force you use to put the Pyrex back in the dish or in the cupboard or whatever. We have entrusted, we have committed our dishes to the care of our son as we train him to help us in that way. The word entrusting means to commit something to someone else's care. And so what Paul is doing is he's equipping Timothy by calling him to entrust to commit the gospel to the care of other people. It's like training somebody in the gospel. It's like saying to somebody, this is the gospel and this is how we handle it. Here's what we do with it. In fact, here's what we don't do with it. It means, friends, that part of the mission is not only that we share the content of the gospel, but we also share how we rightly handle that message. 
Now think about this word, entrusting, and what Paul is calling on Timothy to do. This entrusting requires intentionality. It would mean that Timothy would actually have to choose a few people and commit to them in order to invest in them, in order to train them in the right handling of the gospel. That you have to pick a few and invest deeply. That tells us, friends, that the task, the task of making disciples that we've been called to can be understood as committing to a few and equipping them with what we have been equipped with. It's this transmission of the gospel. Well, well, Paul gives Timothy a little bit more detail about this entrusting by clarifying who, who he's supposed to do this with. The reality is that you and I are limited. We are tremendously limited people. I love you. I can't get to know all of you tremendously deeply. There are some that just by the the reality of our limitations that I will know more deeply than others. And there are some that I will be able to invest in and others that I will not be able to invest in because I am a limited person. Guess what? So are you. And the reality is, is that Timothy was as well. And so Paul gives him two qualifiers to note who he should entrust the gospel to, who he should invest in. The first qualifier is that he's to invest in faithful men, in faithful men and women. Adley and Ellie are, are two, uh, two of our little ones. They love to play in my car, which is fine in the driveway. Right. When the car is parked in the driveway, I can unlock the car, let them climb in, and then they get in there and they push all the buttons and they yank on the steering wheel and they do the whole thing. They're like, have at it. You're free to do that because the car is parked and you're not actually going anywhere. I have a very profound realization for you. You can't actually steer a parked car. Whoa. Well, similarly, you cannot actually steer a person who isn't following Jesus who isn't actually following Jesus. You could yank on the steering wheel all you want, but they're not actually moving. See, faithful means those who are clearly and consistently following Jesus. They are faithful to Jesus. In other words, they are not spiritually parked. And this gives us clarity into who and to how much to invest in someone. There are, the reality is, friends, there are people who we should not invest in because they claim to follow Jesus But by the pattern of their life, they demonstrate that they are not faithful to him. Put it in the positive. There are some that are following him, that are going after him, that they are already moving with Jesus. And what he is telling Timothy is you have the opportunity, the privilege to maybe steer that a little bit as the Holy Spirit is already working in their lives. So we invest in faithful people. But he gives them another qualifier In here, so you entrust this gospel to faithful people. But listen, look at the second part of verse 2. They are faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is incredible and insightful on Paul's part. Paul did not want Timothy to merely collect converts, but to train co-laborers. Guarding the good deposit, a command he gave him in chapter 1, that would require that the gospel continue on past Paul's life. That Paul was limited in his lifespan, and so he needed to see it, and so he invested in Timothy. But he knows Timothy is limited, and it's going to need to go beyond Timothy. The reality, friends, is you and I are limited, and there is a calling for the gospel to go beyond our lifetime. 
There is an old Greek proverb that goes like this. A society grows great when old men plant trees in whose shade they will never sit. Do you hear that sort of legacy mindset in that? That a society grows great when old men plant trees in whose shade they will never sit. That they understand that there is a mission greater than what they benefit from it. That there is something that needs to last beyond them. And that is what Paul is doing with Timothy. And there are men that Timothy would invest in that Paul would never have gotten to meet this side of eternity. I wonder if I could contextualize that for our context here. A church grows great when senior saints make disciples of whose fruitfulness they will never see. Or or college students who will graduate and move to other locations invest in teenagers or younger people whose fruitfulness they will not get to benefit from. Friends, a core component of our investment in others is helping them to invest in others, that this chain of discipleship keeps going, and you have a part to play in that. Now listen, let me, let me throw this in the boiler for a second and distill it down, give you something really practical to do with this. You see, this, this mission that Paul is calling on Timothy to Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and entrust the gospel to faithful people who will teach others also. What do you do with that? Well, certainly, there's minding your own relationship with the Lord. Be strengthened by the grace. But there's also minding the relationship with the Lord that other people have. So as you seek to invest in others, let me give you two really simple questions. Here's your discipleship tool put in the tool belt, two simple questions you can ask somebody to begin doing discipleship. Here's the two questions. How are you being strengthened by grace? How are you being strengthened by grace? And the second is, how are you entrusting the gospel to others? Listen, if any of you asks anybody else those questions, you are doing discipleship. You're beginning to help that person by investing in that and helping that to move along. How are you being strengthened by grace? And How are you entrusting the gospel to other people? Let me add a third one on there. How can I help you do those things? How can I help in those things? If you ask those three questions, I want you to understand, friends, you are doing discipleship. You are helping better someone else's relationship with the Lord, and you are moving this thing down the field. That's the mission that we are called to. Now, the reality is that mission is somewhat simple. You got two tasks that he's telling Timothy to do. Be strengthened by grace and entrust the gospel to other people. It's pretty simple. Like, it's simple in idea, perhaps difficult in execution. Like, it's clear what we're to do, but the reality is, when you get down to it, that's hard. And so Paul, he doesn't just leave him with the goal. He begins to give him the perspective that he needs to take. He needs to know how to think about this as he does it. And that's why he launches into this series of illustrations from verses 3 through 7. Let me read it again. He says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. 
Now, there's a handful of ways you can look at these three illustrations. What I want to do is I want to tease out two themes that run through each of these three illustrations. The calling in chapter 1, verse 8 was to be unashamed of the gospel and therefore share in suffering. And and Paul, in verse 3, he repeats that command. You see it there, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. See, part and parcel of this mission of being strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus and entrusting the gospel to others, part and parcel with it is suffering. It goes hand in hand. He's going to go on later in chapter 3 to say that everybody who desires to lead a godly life will face persecution, part and parcel. So to help Timothy embrace the mindset he needs to endure, he gives him these illustrations. And there's two common themes that run through these three illustrations. It's self-denial and anticipating a prize. Self-denial and anticipating a prize. Let me show you. What does it look like to share in suffering? One element is exercising self-denial. In each of these illustrations, there's some aspect of that. Let let me show you in in these three illustrations. For the soldier in verse 4, he cannot get entangled in civilian pursuits. There is the denial of getting wrapped up in these civilian affairs or civilian pursuits. Now think about that for a second. Think of the word entangled. That is different than being attentive to your civilian affairs or your civilian pursuits. There's a difference between being entangled and being attentive. Entangled implies being wrapped up in something, caught up in it like a vine or or a cord. The reality is that we we certainly need to deal with our civilian affairs, like your school or or your career, managing your resources, your money, your time, etc., keeping up on your apartment or your home, resting, maintaining hobbies, basic hygiene. We need to attend to these things. We need to attend to these things. But the question is, are we managing these things or are we being managed by these things? Are we being wrapped up and entangled in them? See, sharing in suffering means that we give up the quote-unquote right to live for these things. How do we know whether or not we're being entangled? It's when something begins to take over that mission of being strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus and entrusting the gospel to other people. Give you a personal example. When I was in college, I was pursuing Jesus, but so much of my relationship with God actually revolved around the prospect of finding a wife. I was not content in being single. I was kicking against the goads in that way. And it took up a lot of mental bandwidth for me. There's a lot of time I wasted thinking about it. The mission of making disciples often had to jockey for first priority, and I was entangled. So rather than just entrusting that hope and that dream to the Lord, which he obviously provided, I was wrestling for control of that and therefore wrapped up in it. So, friends, are there areas of your life that likewise are entangling you, that that are slowing you down and distracting you from this mission in those ways? Or are these areas, these civilian affairs, are they actually propelling you toward the purpose of this mission of being strengthened by grace and entrusting the gospel? That's the first illustration. Consider the second, the athlete. How does the athlete exercise self-denial? It's by competing according to the rules. Do you see it? An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. An athlete willingly binds himself to a certain set of rules, i.e. the rules of the game. 
Likewise, the man or woman of God is willingly bound by what God commands, by what God has said, not just what we want to do. In other words, friends, the calling is that we do God's work God's way. Paul called on Timothy to follow the pattern of sound teaching, and I think he's reiterating that here. So we understand and we live as though Christ is Savior, but we also live and understand that Christ is Lord and that we submit to him as such, that he is king of our lives, not us. Additionally, Paul was no stranger to people editing the gospel to make it more acceptable. Rather, Timothy and subsequently all Christians, including us, will teach the whole counsel of God, the whole word of God, not just the parts that we like, or the parts that are currently culturally acceptable. The athlete limits himself by the rules. Finally, the hardworking farmer, he denies himself the luxury of laziness for the sake of the harvest. He is hardworking. See, the mission of being strengthened by grace and entrusting the gospel, that would require hard work. It would require actual work. It means that we need to put effort into being strengthened by grace. It's not a passive thing. It is an active thing that we have to do. And it's going to require work in training and entrusting the gospel to others. It's going to require that we be bothered by the whole thing. It is slow and patient work, after all, just like farming is. Now, I don't have a farm, but I have a vegetable garden. It's just salsa ingredients right now. But I'm already realizing by running this garden, by doing this thing, man, it's a lot of work. Salsa's hopefully worth it. But it's a lot of work. And it's a lot of little, tiny, tedious, slow tasks. Just weeding, watering, tending, all of those sorts of things. Well, the reality, friends, is your relationship with God is similar. And your responsibility to invest in the relationship with God of others is the same way. Texts, calls, checking in, lunches, offering rides, Bible study after Bible study, praying for people, patience as they struggle, choosing not to go out of sight, out of mind, following up with people, re-inviting them. All of these sorts of things are the slow, patient work of discipleship, asking again and again, how are you being strengthened by grace? How are you entrusting the gospel to other people? Over and over and over again, it's the hard work of farming. Well, that's the first thing is they have to exercise self-denial, but they also have to anticipate a prize. Each of these people do. The prize for the soldier, you know, go back to verse 4, is that he is aiming to please the one who enlisted him. In other words, the prize for the soldier is the commendation. It's the pleasure of the one who enlisted him. It is the uttering of, from God of the phrase, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we labor for. For the athlete, it's the crown. It's this winner's laurel bestowed on the head of the victor. Athletes, those of you who have participated in that, ooh, our church softball team, why do you do this? Right. Well, at least part of the answer is because you want to win. You play because you want to win that soft, that there is a glory and an exhilaration of victory. And listen, Paul is no different. That there is a trophy of victory that God himself, the righteous judge, bestows on his faithful disciples. And this is what is promised for us if we endure with Christ. Now check this out for the last one. This is the one that always impacts me. Verse 6. <clears throat> the hardworking farmer, he's the one who ought to have the first share of the crops. 
Think about that for a second. This is so cool. The hardworking farmer, what is the prize that he gets? He gets to taste the fruit first. Friend, do you want a life that matters eternally? See, Jesus has gathered together a merry band who is marching in triumphal procession, spreading the aroma of Christ as he goes. Do you want a part of the glory of seeing souls won for Christ and gathered into that procession? Well, we can't do that from the sidelines. We can't do that as a mere critic of the people who are actually doing it. We can't do it as the one who is making excuses for all the times why we're ill-equipped or, or we'll do it when we have time or whatever. It is the hardworking farmer who gets the first share of the crop. So do you want the joys and the glories of seeing souls won to Christ and then matured and then making more disciples? Do you even want the kind of relationship that Paul has with Timothy? Then it's off the sidelines and into the game you go. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and entrust the gospel to faithful people who will entrust it to others. There's one more thing we need to see in this section. It's this little verse in verse 7. It almost feels like a throwaway verse. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Just think about what I said. All right, moving on. I think there's more to it than that. That Paul is actually calling on Timothy to take these perspectives, to actively choose to call this mentality to mind. <clears throat> With these illustrations, he's encouraging him to think in these ways, to not just passively know these realities, but bring them to your mind. Friends, do you often think of yourself as a soldier or, or an athlete or as the hardworking farmer? Do you realize that in these ways, God has conscripted you to this army has brought you, drafted you to this team and has given you a role in the great harvest. I don't know about you guys, but so frequently that mentality goes out of my mind. And so Paul says, you actually have to choose to think about it. You actually have to choose to, to bring it to mind. And we need that perspective as we do this mission. But I want to show you one more thing from this passage, and I promise I'm going to hit the gas pedal to do this last section here. But in verses 8 to 13, what Paul does is he equips Timothy with a series of at least five encouragements, five assurances, as he takes on this mentality and engages in the mission. So let me read this for you, and I'll show you these very briefly. Verses 8 to 13. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Jesus Christ with eternal glory. The saying is trust, trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. There are five assurances, at least five that I see here that he gives them. Let me show them to you. Paul first calls on him to remember Jesus, the risen and reigning king. You see it in verse 8 there. Remember Jesus risen from the dead, the offspring of David. In chapter 1, Paul spends a little bit of time reminding Timothy of who he is. He says, remember that your mother and your grandmother passed the gospel to you. Remember that we laid our hands on you and commissioned you for the gospel. You need to remember these realities. You have a true faith. 
And that's needful to remember sort of our heritage of faith. But what he does now, he says, get your eyes off yourself and get your eyes on Jesus. Remember him. There's two things he reminds them particularly about Jesus. First is that Jesus is risen from the dead. That Jesus has already conquered death. He has already completed the work of paying for sins. And if death couldn't stop him, implication, what else could? But he also reminds him that he is the offspring of David. It's weird. Risen from the dead. Cool. Offspring of David. What's up with that? What's the significance? It's that Jesus is royalty. He is the descendant of Israel's greatest king, and he is the fulfillment of God's promise to David that there would always be someone from the line of David who would be enthroned as king. Second Samuel uh, chapter 7, you can look at the covenant there. But notice in verse 12, jump down a little bit. In verse 12, he says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. We will reign with him. To reign with him requires that he is reigning right now. Put this together. Jesus has conquered death, and he is, in, he is reigning right now as the king. Implication, Christ is in control. He is in absolute control. He is not a losing king, but he is a conquering king who is risen from the dead, reigning right now, and that's an assurance Timothy needed. It's an assurance we need. The second thing is that the word of God is not bound. You see it in verse 9. Paul is chained as a criminal, but, exclamation, the word of God is not bound bound. He is suffering on account of the gospel and is therefore bound with chains as a criminal. He may literally be limited in where he can go and what he can do. He may have been branded as a criminal, though he has done no wrong, but this cannot stop the word of God. Timothy needs to remember this because he too was facing opposition from false teachers and from others in his context. Similarly, friends, our limitations will not hinder God from accomplishing what he wants to accomplish through his word. Perhaps you're familiar with Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Friends, it is not your capability that accomplishes the task. It is the word of God and its power that accomplishes the task. And this is an assurance that Timothy needed. It's an assurance we need. Thirdly is this, is the elect will be saved. You see it in verse 10, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they may also obtain salvation. Because of this reality, Paul endures for the sake of the elect. But listen, they are elect. In other words, they will be saved. That's what the word means. They're already chosen by God and it's just a matter of God using his appointed means to get the gospel to these people so they will be saved. If God's word will produce salvation in the people that God has chosen, then Paul can persevere in confidence, and Timothy can too. And so can we. Friends, God will save whom he will save, and nothing can stop that. So remember this. This is an assurance that you need. It's an assurance Timothy needed. Fourth thing is this, is we will rise and reign with Jesus if we endure. You see that in verses 11 and 12, and Paul kind of breaks out into this poem. Perhaps this was a creed from the early church or a hymn. He says, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. 
He reminds him that for those who die with Jesus, those who endure in the suffering that comes from following Christ, then we are assured of the resurrection that Christ experienced too. Additionally, Timothy is reminded that the result of endurance is that we will reign with Christ, that that's where we're headed. See, God in grace is preparing for us an eternity of being, if you will, co-regents, co-rulers with Jesus, ruling over the new heavens and the new earth, exercising that same delegated dominion that Adam and Eve had back in the garden. Now, I don't know what that's going to look like. But here's why I think this is so important for us to remember. For Timothy, it probably felt like he was up against the wall. False teachers propping up all over the place, people leaving the church. If you read the book, that's all in the context there. It probably felt like he was weak and feeble. Where's everybody going? Why, Why are they leaving and all this? Friends, it may feel like we are weak and feeble in the world, that we are rejected and despised, even as our culture goes and does what it does. But listen, you need to call to mind where we're going, that this is the assurance that we are headed if we endure with Jesus, so do not let go of him. Timothy needed this promise, and so do you. The final thing is this, we'll wrap up, is that there is a warning that, Tim, that Paul sneaks in here at the end. Even a part of this hymn, interesting to sing this, but he says in the second part of 12 into 13, if we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. He leaves him with a sobering warning here, that if we deny Jesus, Jesus will deny us. And if we are faithless, understand what he means here. He is faithful to do what he told us he would do, even in the warnings. In Mark 8, 38, he says this, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. That's a sobering reality. See, Paul is coming full circle here. He called on Timothy to share in suffering, to be unashamed of Jesus. And a warning is perhaps an unexpected assurance, but it is an assurance. Timothy would be duly sobered by that, and us as well. So friends, this is not like some smorgasbord where you get to pick and choose what parts of it you want, like the soldier or the athlete or the farmer. There are parameters and boundaries to our calling. Chiefly among them is do not be ashamed of Jesus and of his words. In other words, hold fast to him and do not let go. Friends, God has given us a clear mission. It's simple, but but it is difficult. Be strengthened by grace and entrust the gospel to others. This will require we adopt the anticipation of self-denial and of the reward for faithfulness. And friends, we can persist in doing this because God has assured us of where all of this is heading, ruling and reigning with Jesus. So let me pray for us that as a church, we would be about this work. Let's pray. God, thank you that you have called us to be a part of this mission. It is a privilege and an honor. Uh, It is sobering in its weightiness, but it is a privilege and an honor. And, And God, we pray that you would help each of us to commit to it. Father, if there are things that we are entangled in that prevent us from engaging in this, would you lead us to repentance in those things, to to jettison those things or to put them in their proper place? Would you help us to be encouraged and refreshed by the assurances you've given us all so that we would endure in this? And, And may Berean be a place where disciples make disciples who make disciples who make disciples on and on and on until you return. We thank you for this and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.